All right, this is episode six of the Twin Pod. No guests this time. It's just me and John. Uh, our topic is pretty interesting, I believe. It's something that everyone goes through at some point in their life. If you're older, you already went through this. If you're younger, you're going to go through this at some point in your life. So uh, we just kind of want to share our tips, kind of our experiences, and then maybe some experiences of people we know. And um, maybe you could learn something from this, prepare yourself for the future, or just get a good laugh. Um, the topic is moving out of your parents' house and becoming self-dependent. Yeah, and what we're going to go through is just tips and, I guess, tricks or advice that we wish we would have gotten a little bit earlier. But, um, you know, school doesn't teach you this stuff. School doesn't teach you about taxes. School doesn't teach you about insurance, buying a house. School doesn't teach you about that either. What they do teach you about is Pythagorean, slope, Pythagorean, Pythagorean theorem. Pythagorean theorem. Uh, what else? A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Yeah, all that random stuff. I don't think I ever used that in my life. Never used that either. Good stuff. Um, so yeah, that's what school teaches you, but they don't teach you all the how to start a business. I mean, I know some schools actually they 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 have something like that in high school. I remember we had DECA class or some some random stuff like that. That DECO, DECO, DECO. So yeah, but it teaches you the kind of basics, but they don't go really into depth about like taxes and um insurance so that's just kind of what we're gonna be touching on real quickly here throughout this podcast and um hopefully you guys can get something out of it i know there's gonna be older people that are watching this and like man they're butchering some things but hey this is just our (laughs) this is just our um what we went through in life so far and i know this is probably gonna change in a few years but it's all good we're just gonna share our experiences and Hopefully, hopefully, yeah, hopefully we could help anyone. We looked at our analytics for our YouTube channel and Spotify, and most of our viewers are actually 18 to 24. That's like, I think, 60% of our viewers. So, I mean, that's right there, the age where you're going to be leaving your parents' house, moving out, getting married. Um, so, I think this topic will definitely resonate with a lot of people. And hopefully, 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 this will bring some kind of I don't know, advice, something you could take out of it. Whoa, hello there. We got our cat with us today, too. She's going to be running around everywhere. Troublemaker. Troublemaker. Just stay right here. Sit, sit. Good girl. Right there. We're going to stay for like two seconds and bounce watch. Yeah. All right. Our first experience with moving out of our parents' house was going to Bible college in Jacksonville. That's a whole... uh, country across you know we were we grew up in washington jacksonville is in florida and there was a lot we learned during that time for example we had to make food for ourselves a lot of the time and that's like coming from a a slavic household where your mom was preparing you know five course meals for breakfast lunch and dinner that's kind of a shock you know yeah every night every night yeah so now you gotta figure out all right what am i buying what am i making how do a shopping I, list yeah how do i even put these ingredients together you know you can't just have fish sticks every single night facts like what's onion powder like what's garlic powder you know you don't ever think about these things especially, man. yeah especially if you're a guy usually i mean you just whip something together real quick you're like why does it not taste the same as my mom's <laughs> cooking <laughs> yeah and especially if you're a guy because usually we're not taking care of that so you gotta learn how to make a steak real quick learn how to clean the kitchen looking to learn how to uh, wash dishes i mean i remember we were in a house full of guys and the dishes would stack up so fast because everyone was just used to 
like their moms or their sisters doing it, you yeah. know, like as as bad as that sounds, but that's that's what they were used to. So the dishes would stack up like by the by half the day the dishes were stacked. And everyone was supposed to, you know, wash their own dishes. And, and there was a lot of guys that did wash their own dishes. But there was some of those guys that just kind of, they're already programmed to just drop it in. And then somehow magically it gets washed. <laughs> so we had to toss in a camera at one point, figure out who the culprits were. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But yeah, the kitchen would look like a mess there. Always constantly cleaning the kitchen. Um, and yeah, so that's just some of the stuff we learned from besides bible topics that's some of the yeah. stuff you learn from from going off on your own for a year it's just kind of how 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 to take care of yourself how to take care of the house yeah and i think that was the first time we actually had to do our taxes on our own yeah was true. that the first year um i believe that i was believe so yeah. 2021 yeah so i mean we obviously didn't make a lot the year prior so we just used turbo tax tossing our w-2 in there and that's another thing, actually, um, taxes. I mean, schools don't really teach you how to do taxes. Schools don't teach you what a W-2 is, what a 1099 is. Um, so that's kind of something you have to learn on your own. What a write-off is. Yeah, what write-offs are, all these things. And uh, some parents teach their kids this. Some parents don't. Um, our parents well, told us that we're going to have to pay taxes as soon as we start working. You know, so, I mean, we would do our YouTube searches and figure it out. And we <laughs> came across TurboTax and that makes it everything pretty easy, especially if you have a W-2. W-2 is basically just um, you're getting pre-taxed, right? So right from your paycheck, this is basically like any corporate job or any of those like bigger companies. They are always give you a W-2. And what that means any is... Any hourly job. Yeah, hourly job. So that means... When you get your paycheck, the tax is already deducted, right? So your Social Security, your federal income tax, whatever, that's already getting all deducted. And then at the end of the year, when you file your taxes, if you made under a certain percentage, right, you get a refund. If you pay too many, if you pay too much in taxes, you'll get a refund. Well, it's like a, I call it like buckets. So every tax bracket is like a certain bucket, you know? So there's the 10,000. Once you make $10,000, you're in this bucket. And then I forget what the, here, let me search it up real quick, actually. Tax yeah. brackets. And then, so there's W-2 and then there's 1099, which is usually for either self-employed people or like contractors. And 1099 just basically means that you're not getting taxed on your income, which means you're going to get a fat tax bill at the end of the year. So you're getting more money for each paycheck, right? Because the taxes aren't getting deducted right away. But at the end of the year, you have to pay all the taxes that that you didn't pay before. So it's kind of like a, it's good, but some people don't really like it because they have a, usually they won't get a refund for their taxes. They'll actually have to pay. Yeah. So, and then how these tax brackets work, basically, um, it's it's buckets. It's not just a singular singular tax rate. So say right now it says um, if you're making between forty four thousand and ninety five thousand, your tax rate is twenty two percent. But you don't get taxed twenty two percent on say you made eighty grand that year. You don't get taxed twenty two percent on that entire eighty grand. No, it starts off like this. So the first tax bracket is zero to eleven thousand dollars at ten percent. So you fill up that back bracket. So say you have let's do some math here. So say you made eighty grand. 
your first ten thousand is taxed at ten percent. First, first eleven thousand is taxed at ten percent. So minus eleven thousand, you're left with sixty nine thousand dollars. Sixty nine thousand dollars then goes into the next tax bracket, which is which is twelve percent, which is eleven thousand and one to forty four thousand and seven hundred twenty five dollars. So. So the next one is minus forty four thousand seven hundred twenty five equals you're left with twenty four thousand. So and then the rest this rest of the twenty four thousand that you're left with now gets taxed at the third tax bracket, which is twenty two percent. So yeah. So it's not just a straight. I know you lo you're looking at that twenty two percent. Like dang, like I'm getting taxed a lot, but it it goes in through buckets. You fill the first bucket, then you fill the second bucket, and then the rest of it gets taxed at that twenty two percent. And yeah. so on for there. Like if you're making 500 grand, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, a lot of people are kind of scared about getting, there's always this fear of like getting audited by the IRS and stuff like that. If you have a regular job, the likelihood of you getting audited is very, 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 very low. Like that's usually reserved for people that are making well over their millions. Um, and, you know, they have their own business. They have many sources of income. Government's trying to get their money, you know, so they'll come for, for them. But if you have a regular W-2 job, um, which, you know, you're just getting a steady paycheck and you put in your W-2, that's pretty easy to calculate on what your tax is going to be. So even like a program like TurboTax, I mean, they'll take care of that really quickly for your taxes. So don't be too stressed about taxes. Um, there's a lot of YouTube videos that will teach you what to do, how to prepare, and everything like that. Um, so yeah, if you have a regular job, it's pretty easy. Literally just input your W-2 that your company sends you into TurboTax and it'll basically do everything for you. If you have your own business, it gets a little bit more challenging, but still, it's not anything complicated. It's nothing, nothing to really stress about. Again, there's lots of YouTube videos to watch. And then also, if you have your own business, make sure you separate your business and your personal expenses. Best way to do that is just get your own... Um, business bank account and have the money come into that business bank account that you make. And then from that bank account, make all your purchases for your business. That way everything's separated. Step further would be to connect something like QuickBooks to that business bank account. And that will do all your, um, basically like your, what do they call it, John? Uh, accounting. Basically. Yeah. Like all your accounting for you. So how much you spent on rent, how much you spent on um, gear, how much you spent on equipment, how much you spent on gas, all for your business. And it'll make all those calculations for you. And then you'll import all that QuickBooks information into either TurboTax or to your CPA, your accountant, whoever's going to be doing your taxes. And then they'll be able to use that quickly to figure out all your deductions, everything like that, and then figure out how much you own taxes. So again, might sound like a lot, but... Lots of YouTube videos on how to do it. Don't be stressed out about that. Um, yeah, there's lots of information out there to help you. So yeah, that's taxes. Now, when you move out of your parents' house, right? You need a house. You need somewhere to live. You need to rent something. If you can buy something, go for that, you know? But... Me and John kind of had two different directions that we went with this. Um, when I got married with Esther, we had this plan to rent, but 
at the time the rent where we were going to be renting from wasn't finished being built yet. So what we had to do was we had to live with Esther's parents for, I believe, three months or so, three or four months. And which I'm really grateful for her parents. That was very uh, nice of them for allowing us to do that. And I know there's a lot of people that say, oh, I don't like living. Like when I get married, I'm not trying to live with my parents and all this stuff. Every person's situation is different. So you can't just, um, what's the word? You can't just judge judge people based because they live with their parents. And also you can't just completely negate that option. A lot of times that will set you up for success later in life. That will help you with saving a uh, down payment for a house. That will help you with saving some money, saving that money you got from the wedding. Um, so it's a good option if your parents allow that to happen. Some some parents don't want that, don't want their kids to live with them after they get married. Um, that's a conversation you have to with your own parents. But if your parents are offering, and uh, if your parents are offering to let you live with them, you can't just completely negate that. You always have to consider that because maybe that's the best option for you at that moment. So Esther and I lived with uh, her parents for, I believe, three months. And I had just moved into the state, into Florida. I didn't have a um, like a full-time job yet. So that was perfect for our situation to help us get on our feet, helped us um, help me with my job, help me get a job and everything like that get situated with my business, start making some income so that when we did move out fully, we were ready to go. We were set up. We had furniture and everything like that to move into our rent. Uh, John, on on your hand, what did you do? So um, what we did was we lived with our parents for in Washington for a year, and then we were able, we were looking for a house, and we were able to buy a house here in Florida. So I just wanted to talk about, um, because when we were looking to buy a house, dude, it felt like the most stressful thing in the world. Like literally like we knew nothing about, so this was our first house, obviously. So we knew nothing about buying houses, like how to even get the process started. Nothing, you know, um, insurance, ta- uh, property taxes, all that stuff. We, it was all new to us. We didn't know how to do anything. So, So I'm just going to go real quick and give you guys a quick guide on how to buy your first home, your first home, second home, whatever. But this is this is pretty much just a basic guide on how to buy a home for anyone listening. Um, Step one, what you got to do is have good credit. Step one, you got to have good credit. Um, What I recommend for this is when you're 18, I know a lot of people are against this. A lot of parents are against this, but I recommend every 18 year old to go out and get a credit card because you will need it. Yeah, you will need the credit. Definitely. And if you don't trust yourself with a credit card, well, it's time to start trusting yourself and build that discipline because you're going to need it in life. I know a lot of people are trying to go by Dave Ramsey's way where um, no credit, no credit, none of none of this stuff. But it's so hard to buy a home without any credit. Like, yeah, you're going to need so much cash down. And especially in the kind of economy we live in, live in right now. Um, homes are getting out of this world expensive. Yeah. Um, it's getting a lot harder for our generation to buy a home. So with good credit, it's going to make it just that much easier. Yeah. So what I recommend, if you're 18 year old, if you're 20 year old, if you're 24 year old, you don't have a credit card, go out and get one because you're going to need it. Um, who knows, maybe in a year or two years, you're going to be married and you're going to be thankful that you got one or your spouse is going to be thankful that you got one. Yeah. So, um, 
if you don't trust yourself yet, if you don't know how to use a credit card, a lot of YouTube videos about it, but or ask your parents. It's pretty simple. Um, just what I recommend, just put like gas on it. Just stick to one thing. If you're if you're just getting used to using a credit card, just stick to one thing. Buy gas. Every time you go fill up your card, just put it on the credit card, pay it off the next day or pay it off in a couple days. Yeah. Pay it off right away though. That's the key. Just use it. What I always tell people is use it like a debit card. So if you look in your bank account and you have no money, don't use the credit card. Yeah. You know, just use it because if you were to use a debit card in that situation, you had no money, it wouldn't let you go through. So same thing with um, use it like a debit card. So look in your bank account. Okay, I have 500 bucks in my bank account. I'm trying to buy this thing for 100 bucks. Okay, I could afford it. You pay with the credit card. In a couple of days, pay off your credit card. Bam, money takes out of your um, checking account and you're at 400 now. You know, <clears throat> so just just um, have that good discipline in the back of your mind that I'm not going to just spend just because I have this credit card, I'm, I'm just going to go out and buy a whole bunch of things. No, only buy things you could afford. Yeah, for sure. And that will build your credit. Um, keep it under. So you're going to when you open up a credit card, it's going to give you a credit line. Best way to build your credit as fast as possible is first, always paying it off. Never have a balance go over, never miss a payment. Second thing is to keep it under 10%. A lot of people say under 30, but I found it under 10% to be the best. So say your credit line is $2,000. Keep the balance under 200 bucks. Um, that's going to be under 10%. 10% yeah. And that's going to build your credit um, that's credit score as yeah. fast as possible. That's called your utilization ratio. So basically how much of your credit limit you are utilizing. Yeah. So keep it under 10%. So once you have a good credit, um, so say you've, you've had credit for like two years already, two years is a good, good amount. Um, another thing is, uh, right before you go into it, John, um, that first credit card you get, make sure it's, it's one that has no annual fee, open it up at 18 and just keep it open till, I don't know, until you die or something. Literally never close that credit card because another huge important factor about credit cards or your credit score is, um, age of credit yeah and so that one credit card that you open up at 18 or 20 years old or whatnot your first credit card it's gonna um hugely impact your age of credit because it's gonna be the oldest card yeah right cat the cat has joined right. us that's right whoa 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 buddy all right. all right so um so yeah age of credit so once you have good credit say I mean, great credit is like in the 700s. Which, once your credit is in the 700s, you could easily go and, you know, go start looking at houses if you're if you could afford it. So that's the next thing, affordability. So you want to have a good enough down payment for your house. You have to you have to have a certain amount of money saved up already. Mm. Um, these days, there's certain loans like a FHA loan, first time homebuyers loan, where you only need three point three and a half percent down payment of a house. So say you're looking at a three hundred thousand dollar house yeah that's gonna be some quick math 300k house three percent was that 3k ten and a half <laughs> pause, <laughs> pause. <laughs> Wait, that yeah actually yeah this it should be ten sense. and a half that makes sense actually <laughs> my math was right so ten and a half thousand so so yeah, if you're looking, if you're in an area where you can buy a, a good home for 300,000, say it's a townhouse or um, some kind of condo or, or whatever, or if you're like in the East Coast and you could, or South and you could actually buy a house for 300K, um, that's what you're looking at, the range. So 10 and a half plus you want and a half, probably like, 
probably another 10 and a half to be honest for just closing costs that you're gonna have to take care of mm. and that's not that's something that a lot of people don't think about but closing costs costs are pretty expensive so you just want to have a reserve of like i want to say from like six to maybe eight thousand dollars after that down payment of just reserved for closing costs yeah and <clears throat> so say you got that 15 to eighteen thousand dollars saved up okay you can start looking at a few houses to get um so you have your down payment you have your closing cost and now you have to check how much how much monthly how much what monthly payment you could actually afford and you could do this a few different ways you could look at um afford house affordability calculator on google i recommend that a lot or you could also look on like redfin or zillow they have um when you click on any property if you go down to the bottom you could kind of see how much that house is going to cost you per month and you look at it and you and you look at it and say okay for for this amount of money or if i get like say a three hundred thousand dollar house at a certain interest rate it's going to cost me twenty two hundred dollars a month Mm. and you're thinking about it and that's with like taxes and insurance included and you're thinking about it you're like hmm can i afford that twenty two hundred dollars a month because if you can't afford that twenty two hundred dollars a month if you have other um other like debts or something if you have a car payment that's 500 bucks a month or you have yeah. credit card debt <laughs> that's like another thousand dollars a month or something or yeah. student loan debt you know um it could all those factors weigh in so you have to see do i have every every month do i have 2200 dollars uh a month that i could that I could spend on a house mortgage instead of maybe I'm putting it into my savings or maybe I'm putting it somewhere else. Or maybe I'm just using it on clothes or something. Do I have that 2,200 and maybe it's more, maybe it's, maybe it's where you live. It's going to be like 2,500. You're like in Washington state, California, maybe it's going to be like 3,000 or 3,500, you know, yeah, it gets pretty up there. So you have to make sure that you're able to afford that monthly payment. Yeah. Cause you have to factor in, I mean, you have other expenses, you have insurance, you have car payments, you have gas, food, you got to eat, you know, um, and all these other things. And I mean, that's a lot of money that you have to allocate each month to your mortgage. So that's going to leave you with less for everything else that you want to do and everything yeah. else you have to pay for. So make sure that you get your house, that that calculator, um, affordability calculator down to figure out how much you can actually afford on your house. For sure. And then after that, after you you find out, all right, I have good credit. My credit's like at 700 something. Um, I have a good amount for a down payment and closing costs, and I could afford this much per month. Now you go to a lender um, and I would honestly ask around like either your parents or people, you know, maybe friends that have went out there and bought houses already. Ask them who they went with um, because word of mouth is how yeah word of mouth is probably the best type of reviews you could do um, because if if they enjoyed it or if their their process went smoothly it's probably gonna end up that your process goes smoothly too so i'd I honestly go look around or look around youtube as well or not youtube google around your area see some good loan officers yeah um go to them get pre-qualified different from pre-approval pre-qualified is just you give them all the information so say you tell them how much you make how much debt you have and um i think that's pretty much it actually how much you make and how much debt you have i might be missing something but pretty much you give them all the information and they're like all right based on the information you gave us this is how much we would pre-qualify you for and there it's going to be a certain amount it's going to be like 
450,000. Do you with, tell them your credit score too? Um, yeah, I believe you give them your credit score too. <clears throat> or they do a soft pull. It's not a, it's not a hard inquiry. It's a soft pull of your credit. Um, kind of when you just check your credit. So, so you give them all that, all, all that information and they tell you how much based on all the information you gave them, they're going to pre-qualify you, pre-qualify you for this certain amount, which is like, I don't know, it could be like 350,000, it could be 400,000, way more if you're saying you make a lot more. Um, <clears throat> so say you get pre-qualified for $400,000. That means that based on what you said, this loan company will give you a loan for 400000 That doesn't mean the house has to be, when you're purchasing the house, it doesn't have to be 400000 It could be, obviously, it could be a lot less, or it could be more depending on how much of a down payment you put. So say you had that 10,500 for the down payment. Now the house that you buy, it could be $410,500. It's just that $400,000 is just the loan amount, not including the down payment. (coughs) So just the amount that you don't have. Yeah. Just the amount that you don't have. Um, obviously I would recommend going as low as possible (laughs) for your first home. Try not to just break the bank as try not to max out that so say they give you 400,000 or say they'll give you 400,000. Try not to max out that 400,000 cuz I mean your your monthly payments just going to be a lot. Um try to go as low as possible. Um so you got pre-qualified from the lender and now you have an idea of how expensive of a house you could go out and look for now. So based on so now you know that okay, I could go out and look for a house that's up to like $410,000. So now you have an idea and you could kind of look and and into your Redfin and your Redfin or Zillow apps, you could put in that um, in the, in like your houses. When you, when you click on a house, you could put in 410,000 and it'll show you how much per month you'll pay. And then you could see, all right, yeah, that's, that's in my monthly affordability, monthly affordability number that I could afford. Or you're going to be like, no, 400,000, that's going to be actually way out of the affordability range that we could do per month. So you got to be like, all right, well, then I can't afford it, even though they um, approved you. approved me for or pre-qualified me for 400000 I could only afford, say, 310000 uh, based on my affordability calculator and how much I could afford per month. So now you got to look at the 310000 because you already know that that 400 number is, is way too high out of your range. And just stick to that then because you don't want to be off out of your budget. <clears throat> So once you do that, once you get pre-qualified, the next thing you got to go do and actually get pre-approved by the lender. This is, they actually do a credit check. They, they take out, they take, um, all your, all your paperwork and what you will need is your W-2 form. So if you have a regular job, your W-2 forms from the past two years, um, if you're 1099, I believe it's six months. Yeah, I believe it's like six months. Um, the next thing you'll need is pay stubs from the past 30 to 60 days that you got paid from those jobs and then proof of other source of income. So one thing that um, happened to me is I sold my car and I, I thought, well, you know, I'll just use that money that I sold the car with for uh, additional down payment or something like that. And they didn't let me because um, certain lenders, you have to talk to your lender about this. If, if So if you're thinking about selling a car, for a down payment or selling a car to 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 have some extra money for a down payment or closing costs, you got to talk to your lender about it because once you go into the pre-approval process, they actually monitor your bank account because they can't just have random money flowing in 
because they see see that as um fraudulent activity or what? not not fraudulent but they see that as like they don't know where this money is coming from so they they think you're a little bit suspicious mm. so so yeah so say you're like thinking of just selling a car yeah i'm gonna, I'm gonna sell my car for 15 grand and i'm gonna have an additional 15 grand for a down payment you got to be really careful and ask your loan officer how to how you're going to do that because some of them actually don't let that. And um, whereas some other loan officer that I know of, they actually all you would need is like a bill of sale and and that's pretty much it. But some loans like, for instance, my loan officer didn't let let us do that, didn't let us just do a, a bill of sale. So there's ways around it. You could have um, a family member. You could give that money to a family member and they could give it to you as uh, a gift pretty much. So you sell the car, you give them the cash and then they send it to your bank account as a gift. And then you have to fill out a gift, um, pretty much gift letter for the loan company. You could do it that way. So, I mean, there's ways around it, but just, just keep that as a heads up. It's not as easy as it seems. You can't just toss 50 K into your bank account and yeah. just expect to use that as a down payment. Everything has to be processed and yeah because i believe they monitor like i don't know if it's like the last three months but there's a certain number of months that they monitor your bank account so maybe it's not a when you're buying a house don't really keep money in uh in cash form or in your mattress or something like that like make sure it's in your bank account you just have to you just have to let them know there has to be a, a way that you tell them where you got this money and it can't just be like oh i pulled it out of my mattress like that's not going to slide. Yeah. So another thing is like, if you're buying a house right after you get married, that's also a big thing. Cause you know, uh, uh, during your wedding, you get a lot of money, but you, if you're buying a house right after you get married, you can't just toss all that money in your bank account and then expect to use it. Like we bought it a year after. So once we tossed it in, it was, it was already fine. Uh, cause we had to wait a year, but for someone that's buying it right after they get married, it might be, you might run into some problems because you're having all this money get thrown into your bank account and they're yeah. like, where did this come from? You're, I mean, you could say from your wedding, but now you have to give them a, like, um, a statement or something? A, like a statement from every single person that donated this money to you. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's going to get pretty hard. So if you can't buy that, <laughs> buy the house before you get married, but if you can't. Yeah. Um, before you move on john i wanted to touch on the so that was basically if you have a w-2 right it's you're gonna get um checked on the last two years you need pay stubs right from the last two years or just taxes from last two years uh pay stubs from last 30 to 60 days w-2 forms from past two years yeah and then if you're self-employed or you have your own business which is basically you'll be having a 1099 in that case um I, i have to check it again but i believe they actually checked the last two years of taxes for your 1099 which means they're going to be checking you not based on the amount of money you made so say your business brought in um a hundred thousand dollars but you wrote off a bunch of stuff and your profit was only 20 grand they're gonna check that as in you made 20 grand not that you made 100 grand so when you're buying a house because i know a couple people where um they told me that they had their own business. They were making really good money, but they were writing everything off. They were like making it so that they had to pay as little in taxes as possible. And then they went to go buy a house and they didn't get approved for basically anything because the amount your um, the bank sees is the amount or the loan officer sees the amount they see is your profit, the actual amount you made, which is 
that 20 grand, not that 100 grand because you wrote everything off. Everything else was an expense. So they see that as that's how much it costs to run your business. So those two years when if you have your own business, um, you're self-employed, right? You have a 1099. Two years before you're planning on buying a house, make sure that you don't write everything you can off. You want to make sure that obviously you can write off some stuff, um, but you want it. You want your taxes to show that you make a good amount. So if you make a hundred grand, all right, maybe like write off 20 grand. So it shows that you made 80 grand, you know, but don't write off everything so that it looks like you only made 20 grand. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then, so I guess the next thing that you would also need is like David said, your federal income tax returns from the past two years. Um, a lot of the loan officers ask for that too. And then recent bank statements, they usually, what they usually do is just sign into your bank account as sus as that sounds. They literally sign into your bank account and they just, they, they could just see everything from the past couple of months. Um, if they don't do that, they'll obviously ask for your bank statements from the past couple of months. Uh, and then what else they ask for is details on long-term debts, debts like car or student loans. Mm. And that will affect how much you get approved for. So if you have a car that's 80 grand and you're paying a thousand dollars a month for it, it's gonna, it's gonna negatively impact how much you get approved yeah. for. <laughs> or if you have student loans and you're paying a certain amount for that, it's gonna negatively affect it as well. Uh, other thing you need, obviously ID and social security number. So after you have all that put together, you'll get pre-approved and the lender will tell you, all right, now that you gave us all the information, we have a better understanding of how much you could actually afford. And this is how much we'd get pre-approved for. So say you got pre-qualified for 400,000, but once they look at all your debt, once they look at all your income, they're like, actually, you know what? We could only pre-qualify or pre-approve you for 380 now because you had some debt that you didn't tell us about or something like that so now you know okay i'm pre-approved from three for three hundred eighty thousand dollars uh once you know all this and you have your pre-approval letter now it's time to start looking for a good real estate agent mm -hmm. and i cannot stress how important it is to find a really really good real estate agent that you trust and that is knows what they're doing and, and that that is really good and has a lot of reviews and people saying that, yeah, they know what they're doing and they're really good because a lot of times what people do is they'll, they have a friend that's in real estate, you know, over the past couple of years, so many people, so many people have gotten into real estate and a lot of them are like people, you know, family members or, um, friends and you know, you, you want to kind of help them out. Like, Hey, let me get, let me help you get your first sale or second sale or something. But guys, this is one of the most if not, this is the biggest purchase you'll make so far in your life. Like it's a huge purchase. Yeah. It's one of the most important purchases you'll make in your life. You don't want this purchase in the hands of a rookie real estate agent. As bad as that sounds, you, I mean, you have to put yourself and your family first here. Go out and find a really good real estate agent. Ask for references. Ask people around you who they used um what their experience was with them yeah what their experience was with them because you have to look for an experienced real estate agent experience will always outperform yeah um anything they say on social media or anything they they say that they could do or how how well you think they're doing experience will outperform all of that so go out and find a really good real estate agent so the first real estate agent we found 
Um, they were not very good at all. Um, I felt like I knew more than them. And, you know, there's nothing worse than going on a call with your real estate agent and them saying, oh, yeah, everything's fine with the house. Everything's, you know, it looks good. It just needs whatever, a new door or something. When in reality, the whole house needs to be redone. So, yeah, nothing is as scary as that. And you know the whole house is, needs to be redone and your realtor is, t- is telling you that, no, just a little bit needs to be done. It's it's not that bad at all. You know, so, so put your biggest purchase in the hands of a really good realtor. And then so after that, we got a really great realtor that helped us through the entire process. And we were out-of-state buyers, so it was even harder. But um, she, she took us through the entire process. Um, very smoothly we highly recommend her she was awesome yeah. um and tell tell um tell them about how you had um one of our friends actually do like a check and interview for realtors in yeah Syria. so we had one of our friends actually uh pretty much um he's a realtor in he's washington. a realtor in washington but obviously he's not licensed in florida so what he did is he called he he asked a bunch of people for um, who they recommend for realtors in Florida, and then he, what he actually did on our behalf, he would call those realtors and like reference check them or like interview them, interview them and see which one is the best one. And then after he got a report of all them, he would come to us and say, "Hey, all right, these two realtors are the best ones. This one has benefits in this. This one has benefits in this. Like for instance, this one is really good with." Um, uh, with investment way. investment properties, they they do a lot of investment um, property purchases. This one's really good at negotiating. So if you want to get the best deal, this one's really good with negotiating. And then we chose based on that. But yeah, so highly recommend if you do have someone that you trust in a state, but they're not licensed in another in another state, and you're looking to buy in another state, have them reach out to those uh, real estate agents because they already know all the lingo. They could ask mm-hmm. them and figure out which one's the best for you and it's well. not like they'll be doing that for free too because they will end up getting like a referral bonus as well yeah so so our friend actually got the referral bonus for uh for himself by doing that so their be- time is compensated yeah. yeah because because he went out and found the he in a sense was giving our business to a realtor here in florida so in in that case the realtor in florida gave him a percentage of the deal as well so it works out for both realtors. Um, you could help out your friend that's in this state. And and yeah. So I cannot stress how important it is to find a really, really good real estate agent. Because it, it the whole pro- buying process will be day and night for you. You could sleep well at night knowing that your purchase is in good hands. And um, they're coming with a lot of experience. And a lot of things that they saw in their own life. They saw in their own career. And they could um, tell you about those experiences so that you don't repeat them as well. And yeah, so after that, I mean, you pretty much put in an offer. The realtor will guide you through the whole process. The loan officer will guide you through the whole process. And after that, you just start um, once once you're in the process of closing on the house, you'll look out for insurance for the home. And after that, you'll get set up with the payment structure and all that and you'll get a, t- a day when you have to pay <laughs> your bills and you'll sign up for um electricity um electricity and and yeah everything will be good to go and you guys can move into your new home good stuff good stuff 
what was like the biggest struggle um that you had when you were moving into this new house or i guess the struggle when you were buying the house i want to say communication with our lender was definitely one of the biggest things that caught us off guard because so just how i stress the importance of finding a really good real estate agent i would stress the importance of finding a really good loan officer too because mm. it's gonna be night and day for you as well there was a lot of times like for instance i wish our loan officer sat us down and told us the difference between um buying out the pmi which is uh, property mortgage insurance i think it's what happens you have to pay pmi when you're putting under 20 percent down payment so that's what we did. So we have PMI, but there was an option for us to buy out that PMI for a certain amount of money and we would have saved some money. So it would have been nice for the loan officer to sit us down and say, Hey, this is the benefits of buying out the PMI, or this is the cons of buying out PMI, or this is the benefits of just leaving it. And then another thing was buying down our, um, our interest rate. There's, you could also buy down your interest rate and it would be nice for the loan officer to sit us down. Hey, benefits of buying down your interest rate or cons of buying down your interest rate. It's just kind of sitting us down because what I want to say, what a lot of loan officers don't understand is that they're surrounded with loans all day and that's all they eat, breathe and talk about, you know, Yeah. and they assume that the person they're working with knows all that stuff too, but we're coming out with, this is our first home. We know nothing about all that stuff. And it would be nice for, for the professionals to sit us, sit down with us and talk about every single option we can do with this loan and see and try to work out the best scenario for us in every single circumstance. So that would have been really nice. And, you know, when you're talking to your loan officer, something I wish I would have done is just ask more questions. But you're going in there so naively, you're, you're, it's, you're just, it's, everything's new to you. So, so just kind of go in there and ask as many questions as possible. And if you don't understand something, ask for them to explain it. And so that you get the best understanding of it. Yeah. That's good. And then uh, what about like, so now you're moving out of your parents' house. Um, I mean, at this point, you should probably have a job. And then uh, if not, you're transitioning to a new job or something like that. W what's been your transition from not only moving to a different state, but moving to a different job and the whole process of like applications, interviews, everything like that? Actually, I guess one thing I forgot to mention is if you're out of state buyer, so if you're moving from one state to another state and you're getting a loan in that state, you're actually going to need um, to already have a job lined up in that new state mm. with a job offer. So <clears throat> what you're going to have to be doing is during that whole process, you're, you're going to have to start interviewing for jobs in that new state and let them know, hey, you're moving here. You'll be here in whatever date. And you're going to have to have a job offer to be able to close on that loan. So that's one of the most challenging things, too, because you have to find a job. You know, sometimes it takes a few months to find a job. So if, if it does take a few months to find that job, that loan process just gets extended more and more. Uh, what was the question? What's that transition like um, going to a new job, right? So like interviews, applications, everything like that. Yeah, it was pretty hard because when you go, when you move to a new state, um, I mean, you're you're taking everything with you and you have to still unpack. But then in the back of your mind, it's like, well, next Monday, I have to go to work already. You know, you're still unpacking everything. You still want to unpack. Uh, you still have to unwrap everything. You're like, shoot, like 
tomorrow I have to go to work already, you know, mm. like in a whole new job and a whole new atmosphere. And you don't know. It's mostly the biggest struggles is just the, just the unknown. You don't know what's going to what it's going to be like. You don't know what it is, what's going to happen. So yeah. but you just you just got to navigate through that. Yeah. And then what about so you recently started a new job? Um, what has been basically how did you even find these jobs? What is it like looking for a new job? And then how did you make your resume and everything like that? Dang, we're going that deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, so recently I, I, I got a new job as a, actually as a loan officer. And one of the biggest reasons I got this new job was because of the, um, the situation I went through with our loan. When we were getting our loan, it was just super complicated. And, and so I, I got this new job as a loan officer because I want to, I want to, treat people or uh, or show people the loans in a way as if I as I wanted to get them when I was looking for a loan you know or um, I want to explain the process to everyone or explain the pros and cons of everything as if I has how I wished people explained it to me when I was going through that loan yeah so that's the main reason I got that new job Um, but yeah just have a solid resume um just look up YouTube, how to build a good resume. Basically, all you need is just your contact info, your name, phone number, email. Experience is the biggest thing. Just have all your experiences on them, um, whatever mm. jobs you worked before. And that's pretty much it. That's all that's on my resume. Honestly, people put skills on their resume. I don't include that. I say that in the interviews. And then people put references on their resume. I, I only do that. So I don't have that on my personal resume. I only have that when they ask for it. Mm. Um, but yeah, experience is, is the most important thing to have on your resume. And then what about when you do get offers for a job? Um, you had a, you had a situation where a job offered or a business offered you a a role, right? And it was a pretty high paying job, but you chose to go with the loan officer, go through that situation. Yeah. So what happened? So pretty much. I applied for as many jobs as I possibly could. I think my Indeed account, I applied for 60 jobs. And I recommend this to everyone because if you get tied up on one job and you only apply for one job, you're going to be really devastated and waste a lot of time when that job does not hire you, right. you know, or just completely does not even look at your resume. So apply to as many jobs as possible. And what ended up happening was I got a lot of interviews and a lot of people actually accepted me for the position. But you have to look at it and say, all right, which one of these is going to be the best for my scenario? And um, so that job that David was talking about, they offered me a very high salary and commission. But the loan officer thing, I felt I felt more. Um, so in loan officing, you could actually make the same amount of money or more, but it just takes a little bit more than what this first company was offering me. It, it takes a, a lot longer for loan officing or a little bit longer in loan officing to get to that amount. Um, but I see loan officing as more of a career mm. and that's something I'm looking for in this stage of my life right now. So um, I see it more of as a career and something that I actually enjoy doing because throughout the whole entire loan process, like I was so like stressed, stressed, but I also really enjoyed everything that I was talking about with the loan officers. And it was also captivating to me and I really enjoyed it. So um, that's something, so what you should look for is something you also enjoy and actually have an interest in. And, um, 
and have a why. So, so why I just gave you the why of why I'm going to into loan officing was because the experience that I experienced myself and the situation that I went through mm. and to provide people that are going to go through the same um, loan officing or loan loan process. I want to give them the same quality of service that I wish I would have gotten. So that's my why. So when you're looking for a career, you have to have a why in that in that career too. something that always motivates you or something that you're always focused on achieving in that in that career. So that's why I chose that job over the um, the other job that David was talking about, because in the other job, sure, I would have been making more money right now, like starting off. But there was no why it was just it would have been just strictly solely on the money. That's it. And I didn't want that to be, I didn't want that to be my decision maker was not the money. Yeah, that's good. And then if you're going another route where you basically want to start your own business or um, you want to be self-employed, something like that. Um, some pieces of advice I would give was, would be have, have just a regular job, something that, you know, is easy coffee shop or whatever regular career you have, and then do your um what you want to end up doing as a career like your hobby or your business on the side so have like a steady flow income and then do your business on the side and then get to a point where once that business starts making more and more money you can go part-time with your regular job right so that you still have like a steady flow income and then you have your business income as well but it's now part-time so you're devoting more time to your business and the reason i recommend this instead of just going um, full force into your businesses. Business has a lot of um, risk and it's not guaranteed income. Um, it all depends on, well, like some months you might have a lot of clients, some months you might have no clients or no sales or no leads, you know, something like that. And it's like, it fluctuates month by month. So you might have a really great month, one month, and you'd be like, oh, it's going to be every month like this. But then the next month, it just goes straight down. You know, you, you barely, barely make a sale and you want to prepare yourself for that. So the best thing I say is start it as a, just a side gig, right? And then move into part-time with your regular job and then part-time with your business. That way you're giving it more time. And then when it gets to a point where you see steady income, you see uh, a steady amount of money each month that your business like makes, like it, it's uh like the minimum it's ever made in this year is this certain amount. And that that makes me more money than my regular job. Then it's time to transition into go full time into your business. And when you do make the full time into your business, uh, you have to realize that now you're your own boss. So there's no one going to be telling you what to do. There's no one going to be uh, setting your schedule for you. There's no one going to be uh, giving you out tasks. That's something that you have to do yourself. So get the Google calendar app, start writing down tasks that you need to complete, start planning out your day. So from, um, 8 AM to 10 AM, you're reaching out to clients, you're emailing people, stuff like that. From 11 to two, you are, um, calling people or you're actually doing the work, whatever your business is like start allocating periods of your day and setting specific like times that you're going to be doing these things. So that you start building out a schedule, you start building out a routine um, that it feels more like a job than a hobby because now it is. That's literally your job now. So 
my number one piece of advice is as soon as you go full-time in your business, bust out your calendar and start writing stuff down, start writing out tasks, start getting that part of your life organized. Yeah. And another benefit of that, going back to the whole house thing is if you have a regular job, a a W-2 job like David was talking about, um, you could get the loan because you'll have a lot of people, what they run into is they're ready. They have all the money. They have all the money for a house and um, the down payment and good credit and everything, but they don't have two years of of tax returns Mm -hmm. or they don't have two years of W-2s. And they're like, dang, I got to wait a whole nother year. Like I already have everything set good credit. I have a lot of money saved in my account. Um, but I just don't have that W that two years of W two. Now I have to wait a whole nother year and work still another year. And then I could buy. So it's always good just to have that in your background and just, just be working that job just cause you never know when the opportunity to buy a house is going to come up and you always want to be ready. So having that job in the background is, is like a security blanket. Like, Hey, like I'll have that W two. I'll have that, um, tax returns for the for the last two years and it's gonna set me up really nicely yeah another thing i would recommend is if you have your own business or you're self-employed is open up that business bank account um, usually this is free so it's not gonna really cost you anything um get your e ein number um that's also free to get on the irs website and that will basically allow you to open up your own business bank account um open it up have basically your operating account and that's where this is going to be just a regular checking account for your business and that's where all of the money is going to be coming in and what you're going to be paying everything out of so any expenses your business have your gas your um, rent on your office your um, equipment whatever that's going to be coming out of your operating and that's also going to be where everything comes in so any paycheck you get for your business any client that gives you money it goes into your operating from there you're going to save a percentage your tax because now that you're you have your own business you're gonna have to be paying um self-employment tax and that's a pretty big chunk so to not be shocked when tax season comes around because now now um your paychecks aren't deducting your taxes right away for you you're gonna have to do that at the end of the year so if you have a separate uh, account in your business in your business bank account just set aside for taxes so this could literally be just a regular savings account that you label as tax right so you have your operating all the money comes in all the money comes out from then you have your tax which could be a savings account and then this basically from each paycheck or uh not paycheck from each payment you get from a client you're going to put aside a percentage five percent ten percent into that tax account and you're not going to touch it you're not going to touch it till the end of the year right so a client paid you a grand for some kind of service, you're gonna take 10% of that, right? 100 bucks, toss that straight into tax. You're not gonna touch it, you're not gonna do anything else, right? You just toss that into tax. And then, at the end of the year, you're gonna you're gonna have a good chunk of money saved up for your taxes. And you're not gonna be looking for money when it's time, when you get hit with like a $10,000 tax um, payment, you know, tax bill, whatever. You're not gonna be surprised, you're not gonna be shocked because you already prepared for that. You have the money set aside for it. You take that money from your tax account, you pay your tax bill, and if there's anything left over, well, there's your tax bonus that you can use for whatever you want, you know? And also, when you're paying yourself from your business, when you're just getting started out, if you have that business bank account and then you have your personal account for whatever else, um, for your regular stuff, 
you can literally just transfer money from your business bank from your business bank account right from your operating account to your personal account and that's that's like your paycheck right there so literally it doesn't have to be anything crazy um or you even write yourself a check you can literally sell yourself from your business bank account to your personal and that's considered your payment for yourself so yeah those are a few tips i have for um people that are looking to start their own business and then another thing about transitioning out of your parents home or uh, moving out is now you kind of you make your own decisions about for example like what church you're going to be going to and that's a big important uh thing in your life is figuring out what church you want to go to because when you're under your parents' house, usually you're under their rules. So they, you go to their church. But if for some reason you're not getting what you want out of that church, well, now you have the option to go to another one. And um, I know when we moved to Florida, there's many churches here as well. And I decided to go with the church that Esther was already going to because I already knew people there. I really liked the community. I liked the youth. And I could just see myself getting involved in in the church, in the youth, um, in missionary trips. Esther's dad was is a uh, one of the pastors at that church, so um, it would just be really easy for me to get connected. And I just saw myself as a family member of this church. So for me, it was really easy to just step right into this church, move away from my old church. You know, what about for you, John? What was your kind of experience? Yeah, my experience was. Um, we are still looking at a few different churches, um, trying to find the right one, but something I recommend for anyone that's looking. So say you move from another state or say you're in the same state, but you're looking for a new church. There's a few things that you could do to kind of better understand a church and better understand which one is going to be the best one for you. Um, so the first thing you got to do is watch the lives. Mm. You have to watch the lives and yeah. to see if you like their worship, if you like their preaching styles, if you like just the way the service is run. If you think that's that's something that or that's a service that you could actually sit in and attend or, or be involved in and yeah. actually grow from it and, and learn something. So watch the lives um, of all the churches that you're thinking of going to. So it could be like 10 churches, five churches, whatever. Watch all their lives from the past couple of Sundays and, and just look, just observe. See, hmm, this is good or this is not good, you know, and keep uh, keep track of them. And then once you see all the lives and you see the maybe you, you dwindled down your list to like three or maybe like four that you're like, hmm, these are all good. I like these lives. Now take those four churches and actually go attend them hmm. for yeah for Sunday services. So if that's four, go the next four weeks, attend each one of those. And then that's going to be your biggest scope of figuring out if this is the correct church for you. But say you dwindle it down after that, you dwindle it down to three. Go to at least two more services from each church because you can't base the church off of just one service. Maybe right. they had a guest speaker. Maybe someone was preaching that you didn't like, but, you know, every other Sunday they have someone really good. Or maybe you don't like the worship this one Sunday, but all the other Sundays you do. So you have to go to at least two more services from each church at least two more times. Yeah. And then after that, you got to start thinking about, all right, is this a place where I could get involved in? Can I get plugged in somewhere? Is there some kind of ministry that I could get plugged into? Is, um, is Do they need any help here? Is this somewhere I could grow? Yeah. Is this somewhere I want my family to go? Is this somewhere yeah. I want my kids to grow up in? 
those are all really important questions to ask and I, um yeah through I, wait real quick through all that you'll figure out which church is the best and then you can finally make a decision with you and your family and whichever church you have the most peace about it's probably the one you should go to yeah and a big factor of this is about your family um i know a lot of people <coughs> from our old church in in washington the reason the younger families were leaving is because there wasn't much um that they saw a future in for their kids because um especially in the slavic household or slavic um russian ukrainian families our parents speak ukrainian our parents speak russian whatever it is and then we their kids speak basically a mix of ukrainian russian and english but mostly english well when their kids have kids those kids are most likely going to be speaking english the majority and they're barely going to understand ukrainian russian so if if you have a church that is only speaking Ukrainian and Russian, well, you got to think about your kids. Well, your kids probably won't understand anything, yeah. you know? So that's also one of the reasons why a lot of younger couples left from our old church in Washington was because, well, there wasn't much that they were planning in the, in the sense of like English services or um, English speaking uh, preachers or anything like that, you know? So, they're like, well, our kids aren't going to understand this. So let's go somewhere where they will understand it. And then another thing is before you, any church that you look into, you got to look at their values. You know, oh, that's a big one I missed. Yeah, I think that's number one is, all right, well, what do these people even believe in? You know, if, if they, if their theology is completely different than yours, you're not going to grow in that church. You know, you're, you're going to stumble because they're going to be teaching something that's con contradictory to what you believe in. So, Go on their website, find their website, and they usually have a page which is just like our church values. Read through that and see, well, do you even follow these values yourself? And then from there, you can decide. Yeah, that was a good point I really missed. Um, but yeah, definitely look into their values as well. And also from attending their church services, I mean, you'll see if if they're saying some certain things that you don't agree with, you're going to get that feeling. You're gonna, that feeling is going to be off for you, so... But yeah, that's definitely a huge thing that you should look into. Yeah, and then make sure you get connected. You don't want to just be a a bench warmer at a church, you know, a seat warmer. You want to actually get plugged in, be in a ministry, figure out what you can help with. Look at your talents. Are you really good at singing? Join the worship group. Are you really good at uh, videography? Join their media team, you know, photos, join their media team. Um, are you really good with kids? Join their Sunday school, you know. Really good with teens or youth? Yeah. Younger youth services. There's so much to do in churches. I think there's a statistic that, what was it, like 20% of the church. I think it's lower than that. Lower actually. 10% of the church is are the only people that are actually doing stuff in the church. And the rest, the other 90 just sit there and come on Sunday or something like that. That shouldn't be the numbers that we see. You know, everyone has a place in the church. Even the old elders, you know, like they're praying, they're prayer warriors, you know, they're um, discipling, their mentors, you know. Everyone has a place in the church, and everyone should be doing something. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Another thing about moving out of your parents' house is now you yourself are responsible for, for your relationship with the Lord. You know, your parents aren't going to be there to make sure you read the Bible. Your parents aren't going to be there making sure you're praying, um, you have to now do all of that on your own. And that has to be a priority in your life. You know, 
waking up in the morning, you have to spend time in devotions, you or at night, whatever time it is, but you have to make um, seeking God, having a personal devotion time, you have to make that a priority in your life. Because if you if you don't do that from the start, if you don't make that a priority from the start, you'll just ignore it for the rest of your life. You know, like that'll, that'll become just a, uh, it's going to be really hard to get back into there. Yeah. It'll become a nuisance for you. And be like, ah, I'll just go to church on Sundays, you know? But if you make that a priority from the jump, as soon as you move out, you're like, all right, now, you know what? I'm going to make this a priority in my life. You'll see the fruit, fruit of that for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's everything I have That's on my list. Yeah. If there's any more questions that you guys have that you want us to go over, uh, we could definitely make a part two from this. I think there's a lot we missed. Um, there's a lot more we could probably go in depth in as well. If there's any questions you guys have, leave them below. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, comment. If you're listening on Spotify, I'm pretty sure you could leave a comment as well on there. Um, if you're watching a reel or through Instagram or something like that, you know, leave a comment as well. We, we look through all the comments. We look through what people say. So um, leave some feedback. Leave some questions. Let us know if you want a part two of this. And we'll be happy to do that. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. And we'll see you guys next week. See you.